Well, good morning. So glad you guys are here today. Before we dive into part three of this series called Don't Do Life Alone, I want to say a public thank you to all those of you who came and helped pass out door hangers yesterday. Something that we're pretty convicted by is, you know, we want to be a church that if for whatever reason we'd close our doors down, we want the people of Park City to miss us. We want them to say, man, I'm, I, I miss those guys. They helped out so much. And so we wanted to find out from the people of Park City, how can we continue making an impact here? And so we did a community-wide survey. So thank you for those of you who helped make that possible. Even at 10 o'clock yesterday morning, it was hot, hot. Uh, about 30 minutes into it, I, I had the kids out and, and Lana was riding her bike and she said, let's ride in the van and have mom put all the hangers up. I said, babe, that's the best idea I've ever heard. Let We'll do that. Okay. And so we did that. We got in the van, we turned on the AC. I got out and did some, but we drove around the last 30 minutes. I didn't care about the cost of gas at that point in time because it was hot. But thank you again uh, for those of you who, who came out and helped with that. If you got a survey and encourage you to fill that out for us so we can uh, continue making an impact here. If you missed the first two parts of this series, that's okay. You can find them online. I'd encourage you to check them out, but but there's no prerequisite for you to understand today. The first two aren't building on it today. It's okay. It's not crucial for your understanding. It's not like you walked in late to a movie or anything. You got to ask the person next to you, hey, what's going on? It's, it's nothing like that. With that said, this morning, I want to talk to you about the subject of marriage. Before we get into that, Anybody in here not married? Just a show of hands, loud and proud, get them up, yes. Okay, keep them up. Look around at who has their hand up. After service, that's the person you need to go talk to, okay? You can, here's what you do, you lead with, I saw your hand up earlier, okay? You've got very pretty hands or fingers or something. I don't know. Don't, don't lead with that. Say something about a watch or something. Don't, don't do that. Anyway, before we talk about marriage, I know that single people are thinking, uh, pastor, what does this have to do with us? I'm not married. I'm isolating you. I know you kind of feel like that because, uh, if you, here's why this matters to you today. If you're single, if you're not married, whatever it is, if you can get this right, if you can get right, what we're going to talk about today It's going to save you a lot of headache, maybe heartache, maybe even counseling. You won't have to reverse engineer anything. You'll just be good on the front end the first time, maybe your second time or third time. I don't know what time you're on, but whatever time it is, you can get it right this time around. I think today is going to be applicable for anybody, no matter what stage you're in. It has the potential not just to change your marriage, but also has the potential to change your life set you up for success. And here's why success in marriage is important. For the first time in our country's history, when you go to a wedding, that couple is now more likely to get divorced than they are to stay married. For the first time ever, uh, success in marriage, divorce rates, they're now over 50%. Now, I've never heard that actually brought up in the ceremony Never had the bride and groom stand up to say their vows and they say, you know what, Pastor, I'm 50-50 on this. Okay, I just want to put that out on the front end. Nobody has ever said that, but let's, let, it's what's happening. Nobody thinks that they're going to end up with a divorce. They think it's going to end in happiness. And I blame a large part of that on Hollywood. Disney in particular, they've capitalized on this notion that there's someone out there 
I don't know where out there is, but there's someone out there who will come in, sweep you off your feet. They'll cherish you. They'll make you feel feelings within your feelings and feelings that you never knew you had. And, and you one magical day that that all is going to culminate with a kiss. It's funny because even my four-year-old daughters picked up on this just the other weekend. We went to a wedding and, and every few seconds my daughter would ask, when are they going to kiss? When are they going to kiss? And it's, it's what they think about now. But in the end, we have all these desires lingering within us when it comes to marriage. Some of it revolves around this mythical one. Some of our desires have to do with our spouse and what they'll look like or what they will wear or how often they won't wear anything, if, if you follow me. We, but... We have desires. We have desires about our house. We have desire about our car. We have desires about what kind of uh, uh, th- stuff we'll drive, what kind of clothes, again, that we'll wear, what, how many kids we'll have, how many kids we won't have, what kind of dog we'll get. Because uh, nobody desires a cat, right? And it's, we all understand that. Even my, my premarital counseling, that's the first question I ask. You all got a cat? They say, yeah. I said, okay, here's the first thing you need to do in order to have a successful marriage. You get rid of the cat. Okay, I mean, that's just step, step one. But we have all these desires and not necessarily bad desires, and this is the, the cat. But we typically have good desires. The problems arise, though, when these desires, they become expectations. We feel like we have to get these things. And eventually it happens to everybody. Suddenly you find yourself mad because these desires that have turned into expectations are not being met. And what happens is your marriage begins to suffer. And this happens without fail because the person that you marry or are married to, they can never fulfill all the desires of your heart. They were never created to be that. The reason why most marriages in our country now end in divorce is because the vast majority of people make marriage about these desires and these expectations, and it's all about themselves. I think due in some part to Hollywood, but when you make marriage about you, you find yourself alone. The reason I titled this series, uh, particular sermon, Don't Do Marriage Alone, is because that's exactly where a number of people's marriages are at. And so let's get real about marriage for the next couple minutes. Can we do that? Look at your neighbor and say, it's about to get real. Let's talk about what you really bring into a marriage. We have all these desires. We may feel like we're going to get that awesome house or that awesome car or have these great kids. But let's chat about three things that I can guarantee every single person in this room is going to bring into their marriage. Here's the first thing you that I know you're bringing in and I know your spouse is bringing in. You might want to jot this down if you're taking notes. Number one, annoying tendencies. Come on, pastor. Annoying tendencies. How dare you? Listen to me. I can show you this in the Bible. Song of Solomon, or your, your Bible might call it Song of Songs, is kind of the quintessential book about love in your Bible. It gives us the clearest example of what a godly marriage and courtship looks like. Furthermore, it was written by a man who was called the wisest person to ever live except for Jesus. Look at what King Solomon says here about this idea of annoying tendencies. Our vineyards are in blossom. We must catch the little foxes that destroy the vineyards. Now, that's a little bit of Hebrew poetry, but what he's getting at, 
if you read the rest of the passage around it, is that their love is in blossom, that they must keep out anything that's going to destroy the love. And I hear this over and over in different counseling appointments that I've had. People say, I just never noticed them about them before. Never noticed this. It's driving me crazy, so trust me on this. Those things were there before you got married. You were just so infatuated with them that you never noticed it. They've always chewed with their mouth open. They've always never washed the facial hair down the sink. They always have put the toothpaste on the toothbrush first and then ran it underwater. What? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, you got to get the soft. Anyway, they've always been that way. They've always been sloppy. They've never hung up their clothes. Whatever it is, we've all got something that's eventually going to annoy our partner. Now, I don't know how your mind works, but as I was preparing this message, I just got curious. I wonder what annoying tendencies have driven people to divorce. So I did a quick Google search. I felt like I needed to share a couple of these with you because it's going to save some of your marriages. This came from Reader's Digest. For one Japanese couple who had been married for six years, the movie Frozen was the deal breaker. After watching it, the husband made the mistake of asking his then wife, did you really think that was good? Apparently she did. And the fact that he could even ask that question made her question what sort of person he was. Okay? They got divorced. Apparently she couldn't let it go. You know what I'm saying? But that's true. It's a true story. It's a true story, though. I, I threw in that last part, but that's a true story. A woman in Saudi Arabia divorced her husband because he had saved her name and his mobile phone by the nickname Guantanamo Bay which if you know is the place where we sent people to be tortured so his wife was torturing it that's jacked up but true a last one a man in southern israel divorced his wife because she adopted 550 stray cats the man in his divorce request complained that the cats also blocked his access to the bathroom and did not allow him to prepare meals in the kitchen, which just for the record, as church leadership, we never, you know, almost never uh, authorize a divorce. That'd be an exception, right? 550 cats get out. I mean, as soon as possible. Like I, I get it. Okay. You can't live with that. But We all have something that's eventually going to annoy our spouse. I'm going to tell you what you can do about it, but your first step is to recognize that nobody's perfect. And you're bringing in just as much junk as your spouse, so don't pretend like you have it all together. You're just as much of a train wreck as the next guy. So here's what else I can guarantee you that you're going to bring in to marriage. It's going to cause you to do marriage alone. Number two, arrogance. Arrogance. In parentheses, you can write selfishness off to the side of that as well. It's pretty much the same thing. Check this out, Proverbs fourteen twelve. Again, King Solomon. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. In other words, if you're going to believe that you know what's best about everything, and the truth is, you're probably wrong. If you're trusting only yourself you are probably wrong. I can remember driving the wrong way in a one-way before. Anybody ever do this? Yeah. Okay, it happens more frequently than I'd care to admit. But I, I generally have a pretty good sense of direction. It's something, you know, with the magnetic poles and how I'm wired. I mean, it's just a gift. I don't know. But I tend to know where I'm going. One day there was some sort of interference. Some signals got crossed. I ended up driving 
wrong way in a one way. Another car's coming in. It's like, hey, buddy, you know, you're going the wrong way in a one way. And Laura's like, no, I think you're the one going the wrong way in the one way. But uh, that's what happens. We feel like we can trust ourselves. We are the sole authority. We end up going the wrong way in one way. Same thing is true for you and your relationships. You might pretend like you're always doing stuff for your spouse, but in the end, you're always angling. We all like to know what's in it for me. It's human nature. It's one of our constant battles. We talked about that a little bit last week about your flesh. Okay. Last thing. Guaranteed you bring this into your marriage. Guaranteed it ends up with you doing marriage alone. Here it is. Number three, sin. Sin. This is Ecclesiastes 7.20. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. There you go. Includes you, includes your spouse. I can't really articulate it any better than that. Not a single person on earth is always good, never sins. Translation, you put two sinners in the same place, it never creates sainthood. Paul said this in Romans 7.19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. That's sin living in you, making you do life alone and marriage alone. It's separating you from God, and because that vertical relationship is suffering, your horizontal relationship is suffering as well. So how do we solve this? Truthfully, the only way I know that you can make your marriage better is to look at the Bible. Now, you can keep trying things your way. You can expect different results. Or you can submit your life to Christ. Just see if things don't get better. So let's see what God's solution is. If you brought a Bible, I hope you did. Go ahead and open it up towards the back place called Ephesians. If you have no idea, that's okay. There's a table of contents at the front of your Bible. Uh, It'll tell you what page number Ephesians is on, or get out your phone and click to Ephesians. You want chapter 5. It's a big number 5. We're going to try and solve how to not do marriage alone. We know what gets us to that place. Annoying tendencies, arrogance, or selfishness, and sin. That's what's going to get us there and keep us there. So how do we overcome those things? Let's see what God has to say. Ephesians 5, let's pick it up in verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Pause. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For who? For Christ doesn't say submit to one another out of reverence for each other. doesn't say submit to one another because they deserve your submission. It says submit to one another out of reverence, out of awe, out of... <gasps> that's what that word really means. <gasps> for Christ. Submit to one another out of... <gasps> for Christ. Let's keep reading. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord... For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do, that particular set of words. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Let me summarize this little section of Scripture for you like this. In order for you to express passion and worship toward God, 
In order to have your emotions and your attitude stirred up for God, you first have to shower your spouse with submission, passion, praise, respect, love, heartfelt desire, insert any synonym that you want. What Paul is reminding us here is that God says, I put you first. I sent my son to die for you. It cost you nothing. It cost me everything. And yet I was happy to do it. I was happy to cancel your debt, your debt of sin and arrogance and annoying tendencies if it's sinful. I was happy to pay your price for those things. So the best way you can worship me is for you to do the same thing with your spouse. Listen, God put you here so that your spouse could experience God's love for them. Since God is in heaven and His Son, Jesus, is waiting to return in bodily form until He gets the okay, it's hard for us as human beings to really express and experience God in relationship. Now, certainly there are ways that we do that through worship music or, or praying or reading your Bible or, I don't know, driving in your car, seeing a cloud that looks like Jesus, like you get stirred up. I mean, whatever it is, there's a lot of ways that we, we experience God, but it's hard for us to tangibly experience God's love for us. The way we do that, the way God has given us a way to tangibly experience Him is through our spouse. You are the reflection of God for your spouse. He's chosen you to be like Him so that your spouse can experience Him. I'm guessing by the looks on your faces and since nobody's talking back to me, you've never heard that before. That's okay. We're going to break that down because it's true. Verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Your profound mystery that is marriage is a picture of the unity of Christ and the church. The reason divorce is such a big deal to God is because His church doesn't split. Come on, somebody. Christ isn't abusive, cruel, or unfaithful. And our marriages are to be an example of that. Okay, Pastor, YBH. Yeah, but how? I'm on board. Okay, I, I get it. I need to love my spouse like Christ loved the church. How... Can I do that? I'm glad you asked. Three things that counteract the three things we all bring into marriage. Okay, let's talk about annoying tendencies first. How do we beat annoying tendencies? Number one, become an expert in my spouse's strengths. You want to quit doing marriage alone? You want to set yourself up for success in marriage? We're all going to bring in some annoying tendencies. You need to learn how to become an expert in your spouse's strengths. Watch this, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, keep your thoughts on whatever is right or deserves praise. Things that are true, honorable, fair, pure, acceptable, or commendable. In other words, stop thinking about all that your spouse does wrong. Start figuring out all that they do right. Now listen, I get it. That might be a small list. Okay, I'm not giving your husband or wife a pass. They might be a bum. But you got to figure out what that bum is doing right because, listen, they're your bum that God has entrusted to you. So you got to figure out what they do well. I make all my premarital couples do this. I actually keep a list of these things in my wallet. But we spend some time talking about strengths, what strengths are, what 
uh, strengths that they have. I make them list out their personal strengths. Usually doesn't take very long. People tend to, to not think about what they do well. They think about all they do wrong. And so they list their strengths. Then we flip the card over. I missed the, make them list all of their soon-to-be spouse's strengths. There's a lot more usually for people in that regard because you just see all the good things on the front end of your marriage. But then we uh, homework is you have to go back and you talk about those things. You, you find a place where uh, you can talk about what your strengths are. And so I make the one couple, like the, I tell the guy, I say, okay, you got to read your strengths to your spouse or your future spouse. And then that uh, partner, if they don't have those things, they'll be like, oh yeah, I got that. And then they quickly write it down. Uh, because, But you list all the strengths and then you tell your partner, here's what I see in you. And you tell them their strengths. And then you switch. But then your job, the rest of your marriage, is to find creative ways to communicate those strengths to one another. And you become an expert in each other's strengths. Pretty soon, they're living up to those strengths. They're not the bum that they used to be because all they were getting before was negative reinforcement. Now they're encouraged to do life well and to do the things that they do well and that God has called them to do. Just a quick sidebar, parents, you should be communicating your kids' strengths to them as well. But you've got to become an expert in your spouse's strengths. You've got to communicate to them what they do well. And you need to know those things. Find creative ways to tell them what they're doing and what they bring to your marriage. It's life-giving. Come on, somebody. Preaching right now. Okay? You need to go home and do that if you've never done that. What else? Number two, serve each other daily. Serve each other daily. Here it is in Scripture, John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, than he that watch HGTV with his wife. Okay, that's it's just I'm bound by the book. Okay, that's what I said. No. Greater love has no one than this, than someone that laid down his life for his friends. You serve one another. I'm going to drill down on this for you. How can you lay your life down for your spouse? Uh, it already said, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Gave himself up for her. How can you give yourself up for your spouse? Wives, submit to your husband. How can you do that? Here it is. You have to communicate your expectations often. Okay, you might want to jot that down. Communicate your expectations often. You have to verbally talk to one another about what you feel like needs to be happening in marriage. There's two primary expectations that a lot of people get wrong or perceive is wrong in their marriage, even though it might not be, and it causes divorce more than any other two things. There's sex and money, okay? You probably are not surprised by that, but that's the two primary reasons people list for getting divorced, sex and money. So let's chat about both of those things. This is clearly an issue in our world today. Follow me here. When I say serve each other daily, it doesn't mean you got to have sex every single day, okay? That would be awesome, but that's not what I'm, I'm meaning, okay? So here's what I mean when I say serve each other daily. I mean you have to communicate your expectations daily about sex and money or anything else that's a problem in your marriage. You need to find a way to communicate those things early and often. Ladies, you need to recognize that sex for guys, by and large, is how they feel loved and valued. It's not just physical for them, it's also emotional, albeit different emotionally than it is for you. 
Guys, you need to realize that for women, the way they feel loved and valued and connected emotionally is to talk. Can I get a good amen from the ladies on that? Right? You want your man to talk to you, right? Yes. Okay, some of you. Guys, the sexiest thing you can say to your wife is, and then what happened? That's, that's all you got to do. They don't want you to solve their problems. They just want you to listen and connect with them. Right? Am I wrong? Okay. For ladies, everything is connected. The way they process emotions, the way they process life, all these connections, everything is intertwined, and they do that through speech. They talk to you. They want you to talk to them. Here's a helpful tip for the ladies. The reason your man is talking to you is because he wants to have sex with you. Okay. It's, I'm just, as emotional and necessary for the conversation is for you, sex is that for men. Okay? Now, let's chat a little bit about money. Easy. Don't spend what you don't have. You know how much strife you can save in your marriage if you're not getting into debt? Wait. Just wait. If you don't have the money, stop getting into debt. It's causing unnecessary strain on your marriage. Other than that, you've got to chat with one another about what expectations are not being met. Figure out how to serve one another so that if those are good and godly expectations, they can be met. Not that they deserve it. We already established that. You're doing this for Christ. This is a spiritual act of worship to God by you serving your spouse. Jesus already said that He he came to serve, not to be served. You are a picture of Christ to your spouse. You need to be serving one another. Which leads me to point three. Support each other spiritually. You got to support each other spiritually. You want your marriage to change or you want to set yourself up for success in marriage, then you got to be on the same page spiritually. Now, what I'm not saying is if you're currently married, you should divorce your spouse because they're not a Christian. I'm not saying that. I am saying you shouldn't be dating somebody who's not a Christian. The Bible calls that unequally yoked. Your lives are in different places. You literally have nothing in common if you're not on the same page spiritually. I often talk about this marriage triangle, okay? With God at the top, you, your future spouse on either end. You can see a natural byproduct of that is as you and your spouse get closer to God, you're getting closer together. If only one of you is getting closer to God, you're getting further apart. God forbid they're antagonistic towards God and they're going the other direction and now you're really far apart. If, if the person that you are wanting to marry is not a Christian, they're going to have no idea why you want to spend the money you, the way you spend your money. They're not going to want to raise kids the same way that you want to raise kids. They're not going to do any of the things when it comes to serving as a spiritual act of worship, they're supposed to be a picture of God to you. Like, none of that makes sense if they're not on the same page as you are spiritually. should not be dating somebody that's not a picture of Christ for you. And if you're not that for your spouse, then you need to change your life and make some decisions on how you can start getting closer to God so that you and your spouse will end up closer together. I'll show you this in in scripture okay 
Again, it doesn't mean you get divorced if you're married because 1 Corinthians 7.13, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? You don't. You have no idea what God can do with you living a godly life. Now listen to me. If there's abuse in your marriage, if there's physical abuse specifically in your marriage, you need to get out. And you can come and talk to me and I'll help figure out a way for that to happen. Or sexual abuse, verbal abuse, any of those things. I'm not saying that we've got to end it in divorce, but I, what I am saying is you need to get out and, and we'll take care of it for you, okay? We've got some brothers that are just barely saved, if you know what I'm saying. Like, we'll go take care of it. I mean, they're saved, but they're just barely saved. No, but I'm serious when I say that, that we want to help you work through that. And it's dangerous for you to, to stay. You know, my, my dad's been in law enforcement a lot of years, and I've heard some very tragic stories and some horrific endings because people didn't get out when they had the chance. And I'm passionate about, about helping you if we need to help you. Again, I'm not saying you've got to end it in divorce, but what I'm saying you need to get out. And we'll figure out all the other semantics of it in the end. But I am saying if you're dating and you're not in the same place spiritually, you need to stop the relationship until both of you are pursuing God. So, as we close, okay, I'm going to close with this, but you need to hear me say it. This is not a recipe, okay? This is not a guaranteed formula for success in your marriage. You cannot email me on Tuesday and say, I tried this all on Monday, and it didn't work, Pastor. What's, what's going on? I'm not saying this is absolutely 100% going to work. What I am saying is if you don't do this, it can't work. You've got to give God uh, some potential here to help your marriage, for God to do something. That potential is not there if you won't serve one another, if you won't worship together, and if you won't become an expert in your spouse's strengths. You've got to do something to change where you're at. Some of you are holding on so tight to your perceived control. You think if you keep telling that person what to do, eventually they'll get it. And what God is saying, no, you've got to just love them and forgive them the same way that I loved you and forgiven, have forgiven you. You can't hold anything against them. But I get it. It's, it's kind of dangerous. Because what, what if they still trample over your heart? But what if they leave? What if, what if nothing gets better, Pastor? Quite frankly, that's between them and God. You've got to do what you can do, and you've got to control what you can control, and that's only your life. As your pastor, I want you to be able to stand before God and say, I did the best I could at reflecting you. I did the best I could at trying to submit. I did the best I could at trying to give myself up for my spouse. I gave everything that I could give. I did the best I could. Can you imagine what your marriage would look like if both people did this? Can you imagine how much divorce rates would plummet if marriage wasn't about you and it was about serving one another and serving God? I would contend our world would be a lot in a lot better shape because kids wouldn't be growing up in single parent households. 
They wouldn't see some of the things that they see and, and then experience that in their own life. We'd set our children up for success. And more importantly, we'd change our life and outlook on God and marriage and, and everything. Imagine what your marriage could look like if you both were willing to serve one another, become an expert in each other's strengths, and pray for one another, serve one another, and be on the same page spiritually. I'm telling you it's be awesome. Change your whole life. Let's pray. God, thank you again just for giving us the time to come and hear from you. God, I pray that these words were encouraging for people. God, there's a lot of marriages represented here today, and so I just ask that you do a profound work. Continue to bless the marriages that are, that are thriving. Continue to be life in them. Don't let the enemy try and, and put any sort of wedge between a husband and wife. God, for the marriages that are struggling, I just ask that you speak clearly to each person that they're the problem. It's not their spouse. You've got to do something in them before you're going to do something in their spouse. And that if they'll just start pursuing you, natural byproduct of that is they'll get closer together. God, bring life into those marriages. If anybody here is struggling and hurting and being abused, God, give them the courage to, to come talk to me or anybody here at the church. Help them. God, please just bless all the single people with a marriage. And God, if that's something that you haven't called them to, give them strength and life and encouragement as they serve you and the world around them in a powerful and beautiful way as a single person. We just ask that you continue to help each and every family represented here. Thank you, though, most of all, for that free gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.